Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. We've been away from John 17 for a couple of weeks as we looked at Palm Sunday, the betrayal and the death of Christ, and then uh, Easter Sunday, the resurrection, last Sunday. And so today we want to come back to John's Gospel, John 17, and look at this passage in the very middle of that chapter, verses 6 through 12. You know, John 17 gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus, probably unlike any other chapter in all the Gospels. Because you have him praying. You have him before the Lord, before his Father. You have him opening up his heart and opening up his, his, what is important to him as he is preparing for death, as he is preparing to leave the world and, and send his Holy Spirit. But yet he's here with these disciples those that he cares about so dearly. And he starts out, as we looked at three weeks ago in verses 1 through 5, the first part of that prayer is really for himself. Father, I've glorified you, I've exalted you, I've showed you to everyone that I've come in contact with, everyone I've talked with, and now, Lord, I pray you glorify me together with me, with yourself. Glorify me with the glory that I had before the world was. He said, I'm coming back to you, Father. And as I come and as I go to the cross and prepare to then ascend into your presence, Father, I am asking one simple thing, that you, you demonstrate your power in my life as I redeem my people from their sin. It's a glorious prayer. Then starting in verse 6, where we will go today through verse 12, he begins to pray for those disciples around him. He begins to pray for those that have been with him for the last three years or so in ministry and what they will need and their greatest need as he leaves. And so I want you to hear that as we start in verse 6. It says, I manifested your name to, to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. Now, he is at this moment of praying, obviously still in the world. But he's looking to the cross. He's looking to the resurrection. He's looking to his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And he's already talking about that and talking in terms of that. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. The first accomplishment of the incarnation of Jesus coming in the flesh, God becoming man and dwelling among us, 
is described back at the very beginning of John's gospel. When, when John, in talking about that coming, says in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John is saying there what Jesus is emphasizing here in this prayer, that Jesus came into the world to manifest the glory of God. Jesus came in the world to show you and me who God is and what God is like, to demonstrate and reveal Him in a way that never had been real, revealed before. Now, His revelation had come through His Word. He had talked in His Word about what He was like and Moses and the prophets and, and the psalmist and, and, and and all that had written about him had said, this is who God is, this is what God is like. They described his glory in magnificent terms, but the truth of the matter is, when it comes right down to it, there is no vision, there is no truth, there is no understanding of God that is any greater, anywhere, any more clear than in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason he came to glorify the Father, to express the glory, to show that the Father is full of grace and he's full of truth. Jesus has been expounding the truth of Almighty God his entire ministry. Jesus has been showing us God's truth through the things he taught, through the things he said, and through the miracles he performed. He's been saying, listen, God has spoken. God is speaking in these days in me, his only begotten son, in me, the incarnation of God himself. God has spoken. Hear what he has to say. He's been showing us His glory. He's been showing us His grace. He's been showing us His truth. But now He's moving into that phase where He's about to show the grace of God in such an explosive way, in such a magnificent way, that those close around Him may miss it unless they are really in tune to it. And if you and I aren't careful, we'll miss it too. We'll see the death as just something that, yeah, had to take place. Something that, yes, we are thankful for in a very real sense of the word, but we'll miss the fact that that death was the most fantastic, most horrific, and yet most glorious event that the world has ever seen. His going to the cross. But here he prays. He prays for those whom God has given him. And he, he talks freely about the fact here that God gave you to me talking to those in verses 6 through 12, primarily to those who are there with him, those who are hearing him pray, those who are ministering alongside him and seeing the miracles, those early original disciples. He said, God has given you to me, and you have believed, and you have received, and you have understood. There's a beautiful balance here between the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility that, that Jesus brings out even in his prayer. He said, God is the one at work. God is the one manifesting the glory. God is the one manifesting the grace. God is the one manifesting the truth. But yet I want you to see in verse 8, he says, But Father, these you have given to me, they received your words. They understood that I came from you. And they have believed that, I sent, that, that you sent me into the world, that I have been sent from you. You sent me, received, understood, believed. Those are all actions that take place in life, not only of those 11 that were left now that Judas is gone, but those are activities and actions that take place in the life of every single person that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
It's, it's not just a matter of raising a hand or praying a prayer, or walking an aisle or being baptized, but it's a receiving the words that Christ has spoken. It's receiving what he says about God and about himself and about his mission and his ministry. It's receiving those words as being from God and being absolutely true. It's understanding them. Even as, as Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and Jesus said to Peter, listen, you're right, Peter, you got it exactly right, but I want you to know it's not your flesh and your blood and your mind and your intellect that revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. You see it, you know it, you believe it, you understand it, because God is at work in your life. This morning in my prayer, I pray that we would, would meditate more on His grace, that we would concentrate more on His truth, that we would find ourselves not just thinking about what the world is saying and what the world is doing, but that we would, we would get tunnel vision to some degree and say, Lord, show me your glory in your word. Show me your truth in your word and let me abide by it. There's a lot of words out there today about Jesus. A lot of words out there about God. I used one a couple of weeks ago in the sermon that kind of tried to take a, a synergism and bring Jesus and Buddhism and, and a couple of Hinduism and a couple of things said, this is who Jesus is. And I said, no, it's not, because it's not. It's amazing how people in our world today want to take all sorts of ideas about God and ideas about Jesus that somebody will come up with and say, oh, well, boy, we believe that. That, that sounds like what we want to believe. And yet they won't believe the simple words of Christ about who he said he was. Uh, in light of the, the movie that's playing now, Heaven is for Real, I went back and reviewed some of my notes from the 1990s when another book became very popular. and They tried to make it a movie and they just never got through to it, I don't think, entitled Embraced by the Light by Betty Eddy. I remember I've got on, on a, a video back there, and I'll probably use it on Wednesday night in the next few weeks in one of our studies on, on, in theology on discernment. But, but Betty Eddy is being interviewed by the, the Minister of America, Oprah. And, uh, and, and, and Oprah says, well, tell me what you saw. Well, I saw Jesus. I sat with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. Jesus talked to me. And Oprah said, how would you know it was Jesus? Did he say it was Jesus? No, he didn't have to. I just knew who he was. And, and Oprah said, well, tell me, what did he say? He said, well, here's what Jesus told me to say. Jesus told me to come back and tell everybody that religions don't matter. All religions are the same. All religions are on the same path, the same truth. All religions are moving in the same direction toward acceptance with God. And Oprah's response was, I knew Jesus was too cool to say he was the only way. I got news for you. Jesus said he is the only way. And a lot of people today want to say, well, you know, we got this new revelation. We got this new person who's gone to heaven, been there, and come back, and now tells us all these new things that God is saying. Folks, those are outright, bona fide, certified lies. That's all I can say about them. You know, and Jesus kind of settled the point when he said in John chapter 3, we looked at it months, no, we looked at it a couple years ago, in John chapter 3, when he said, you know, no man has gone into heaven. You can't learn about heaven from somebody going there and coming back. No one's ever done it except the Son who has come from heaven to tell us what it's about. In other words, believe the Son, believe Christ, believe God's Word over against anybody's experience. See, we live in a very experiential world. Our world today puts all sorts of stock in experience. 
I've experienced it, so I know it's true. Well, if God's Word says it's not true and you've experienced it, I'm sorry, it's not true. And that's a real problem in our culture today. It's a real problem even in our churches today. That people will say, oh, but I've had this experience. I, I remember an aunt years ago uh, on my wife's side of the family, uh, not my side of the family, but, but uh, we got into a theological discussion. I won't go into all the details about it. and I'm probably in trouble for that. But I, on my, my wife, this aunt said, was telling me about this experience she had. And I said, well, the word says this. She said, I, well, no, you got to understand, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what I experienced, and I experienced it. I went through, I went, so, but you know, Paul says, blah, blah, well, I don't care what Paul said. And, and finally, I said, but the Scripture says, and she finally said, I don't care what the Scripture says. I've experienced it. I know it's true. And for her, that was a, a stopper of the conversation. For me, it was just a validation of a total misunderstanding of truth. God's Word is truth. And, and let all other claims to truth be silenced in, in the sight and in the hearing of God's Word. And, and that's what Jesus is praying here. He's praying, Father, let them receive my truth, let them understand my words, and let them believe that you sent me. I'm not a guru. I'm not a, a, an emanation of some type from God. I'm not a little God that just kind of is in a long chain of gods. I am the incarnate one come from you. Let them see that. And he said, Father, I'm praying. I'm not praying for the world. I'm asking on their behalf. Now, is Jesus saying there, I don't care anything about the world? No, he's not saying that. He's not negating John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He's not negating that. But here's what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus knows that the only way the world will hear the truth about who he is, the only way the world in our day in 2014 in Somerset, Kentucky, will hear the word about the truth of who he is is through his disciples. through those who abide in the Word, through those who believe the Word, through those who meditate on the Word. And, and so he prays. I, I, I pray on their behalf. I, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me. And the implication there is those who have given me out of the world. They're no longer of the world. They're, they still may be in it, but you've given them to me, for they are yours the greatest commentary on that statement goes back to John chapter 6. We, we studied it long ago, where in John chapter 6, Jesus said, Listen, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. It's a free and open door to the Lord to those that God has drawn. And he says in verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that, all, that of all he has given me I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. Or verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Jesus is just saying here, listen, these, this is the core. This is the beginning. This is what is about to explode upon the world with the truth of God's Word. It won't be by dream. It won't be by vision. It won't be by a new idea every two or three years. It will be by focusing on, believing in, and proclaiming the truth of Almighty God.
you know, it's evident from the faith that they display that they are God's people. They've recognized Jesus as the one whom God has sent, and they want no other, and they need no other. See, a true disciple of Christ is not somebody who's always looking for some new spiritual tidbit apart from God's Word. Oh, they're searching for spiritual truth in God's Word, no doubt. But they're not always searching for some new spiritual experience that's contrary or separate from the Word of God. You know, it's amazing how Jesus traces everything back to God the Father. And so we may conclude that, that his idea is that God has sent him in the world, has given him these disciples who will and ultimately will share with us, because he's going to say a little later on, I'm not just praying for these, but I'm praying for those who will believe because of them. That's you and me. And then in verse 11, he, he anticipates what is about to come. I'm no longer in the world. I've done what you sent me to do. I've done what my mission was. And, and in all of my public actions, they've been a manifestation of God's name. You know, the name is important there. This morning, we, we dedicated Deacon Simpson, right, in, in public, in front of everybody. We talked about the meaning of his names. I mean, I think names are important. I think we ought to teach our children what their names mean and, and try to instill in them scriptural truths that surround that. And, and, and Deacon Shea is a great meaning there, dependent on God and servant of God. You know, the, and try to teach them that's the important thing. But what Jesus is talking about here is far more significant than that. He says, I... I have given them your name. I have revealed to them your name. And the manifestation of God's name is wrapped up in all his works and all his words. As God has given them to Jesus, his entire coming from God, and those whom he, before whom he now shows God and reveals God, these are the ones, everything about their faith is evident to the, evidence to the name of God. Yahweh, Savior. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Jesus says, what I've done is I've taught these disciples. And through my teaching and through my word and works, I have manifested your name clearly. That's why the book of Acts, the apostles will make clear to those early believers and those early pagans, there is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved but the name of Jesus. It's a settled issue. God's name has been manifested. So what does he want? What does he pray for? Well, he prays for God's protection of those that are his. He said, I no longer am in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them, protect them, guard them, watch over them, persevere with them, keep them in your name. I love how the psalmist put it in Psalm 121. Hear the words of the psalmist. You know this 
you know this is one of the songs of ascents, one of the psalms of ascents. As they were all, as they were going up to Jerusalem to worship, they would many times sing this psalm. Starts out with, "I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help doesn't come from the mountains. Doesn't come from the earth." Doesn't come from the world, the psalmist says. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Doesn't sleep. Doesn't slumber. Doesn't get lazy. Doesn't get tired. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, will neither slumber, slumber nor sleep. Now listen to this. The Lord is your keeper. More powerful, more strong than you being your own keeper. The Lord is your keeper if you are His. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth. And forever. Do you see those great words? My help comes from the Lord. He will not allow your foot to slip. He will not sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. The Lord will protect you from evil. The Lord will guard you. I mean, all those same ideas that Jesus is talking about in his prayer here. He's not praying out of out of some vacuum. He's praying out of what God has already promised to those who are his disciples. Keep them in your name. The name which you gave me, that they may be one even as we are. See, Jesus' first concern for his disciples is their unity. Their unity. Not unity at all cost. Not unity in the face of error or untruth, but unity in His name. That we will be under the name of Christ and under the banner of God and that, that, that we will see that as what our focus is because it's been revealed to us, manifested to us. We've, we've believed it, we've received it, we've understood it, and we are one in Him and in His truth. So that's why we harp so much on truth around here that's why we say it, it's a matter of knowing and understanding the truth it's not a matter of well everything goes just be loosey-goosey in what you believe as long as you say i love jesus and that'll be all right you can believe what you want to that's not true not according to god's word that they may be one unified and he's praying not only for their unity, he's praying for their sustenance and their strength in the world. He said, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. Father, I was working diligently. I was keeping them. I was teaching them. I was protecting them. And now I'm leaving. Lord, I want them to be sustained. I want them to be protected. I want them to be strengthened. And then next week, we're going to see the, the, the real basis of that prayer for strength and sustenance is holiness on the part of his people. He said, I, I guarded them. 
I kept them. I guarded them. And not one of them was lost. Not one of them perished except one, the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Even that losing of that one was an understanding that Scripture was being fulfilled. Judas was going to betray him because it was prophesied and had to be for the fulfillment to be. I want you to see something here. We live in a day of confused Christianity. Let's just be honest. We live in a day where we think we can take care of ourselves, where we think we can build a, 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 a better mousetrap and catch everybody. You know, we, we, can just, we can just be like the world and draw a crowd and look successful. Folks, if, if our focus is not on Jesus, individually and corporately as this body, if our focus is not on His name, if our focus is not on drawing our strength and our sustenance and our, our protection from Him, we're doomed. Grace Baptist Church is almost eight years old. We were born in an absolute expression of dependency upon Christ. We were. We, we were. We know what we were doing. We just knew we wanted to stand for truth. We knew we wanted to stand for the name of Christ as all-sufficient and all-powerful and and the name, the only name that saves, and, 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 and we didn't, we just depended on him. We prayed a lot, corporately and individually. We spent time just seeking his face and saying, Lord, Lord, Lord I, I've got to be protected by you. You're not here right now physically, but your spirit is here abiding in us and strength. And, and Lord, I just want, we, we've got to have you. And we were simple church. We just met and worshipped and went home, basically. Prayed a lot and went home. And, and we just said, Lord, it's, it's you. It's not us. God, protect us from losing that. Our focus has got to be on exactly what Jesus is praying here. Lord, I pray that they may be, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. Unity in your name, unity in your truth, unity in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and nothing else. We can easily become self-sufficient. We can easily figure that, ah, got this church stuff down now. We can do this. According to Jesus, we can't. According to Jesus, it's his protection of us in the world. We're in the world, not of the world. We're his. We've been given to him out of the world. We belong to him. And, and yet it's not that now we say, okay, we have arrived. But it's that we must say we depend. 
completely on Him. Utterly on Him. See, that's what salvation is. Salvation is really coming to the point of saying, I can't do this. I can't be religious enough. I can't be good enough. I can't can't go to church enough. It's not about all that. It's about seeing that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Seeing that God has provided the glorious Savior. Not a Savior. As though it were among many. The Savior. The one whose name is above all names. The one who is the only one sufficient for salvation. What a glorious truth. It's so easy to so easy to slip and slide from that. It's so easy to say, well, you know, it's kind of narrow. Yeah, it's very narrow. Because Jesus said, listen, <laughs> there's two gates. There's two ways. One is broad. Got all sorts of ideas on it. It's the broad way. A lot of people want to take that way. A lot of Baptists want to take that way. Hey, it's the easy way. People like you if you go that way. Jesus said, but that broad way leads to destruction, devastation, to hell. And then there's the narrow way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father Except by me. It's the broad way, fun way, easy way. There's the way that's not so fun because it's not so acceptable in our culture. To talk about Jesus, the Son of God, manifest in the flesh, dying in our place that we might be forgiven. It's a narrow way. He said, there's a choice, there's the broad way, the easy way, the narrow way, the hard way, the less than popular way by a lot of people. There's a choice. Then he said, let me tell you, enter by the narrow gate. John Bunyan called it the wicked gate in Pilgrim's Progress. Enter by the narrow gate. Because it is the only gate, the only gate that leads to life. That's what he's praying here, folks. Give them to me, protect them. Guard them from error. Let them see Psalm 121 as a psalm for their sustenance and for their strengthening, and for their meditation. You are my keeper. You will guard me. You will give me shade. You will protect me. You'll watch over me at all times. If I am yours, can the world make that that claim? Can the world have that assurance? No. Only those who are in Christ. Again, I use in my prayer Paul's statement. Romans 8, chapter 1, For there is therefore now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our world just wants to kind of cut it off. There is therefore now no condemnation. As though it covers everybody. It's not true. 
The truth is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where are you? Is Jesus praying for you in this passage, or is he, are you? Parthia's not being prayed for. What is the truth in your own life? Let's pray. Father, I... I know that when this many people are gathered, there are every possibility. There are many here this morning who are in Christ. They have received your word, they have understood your truth, and they have believed in Christ, the only one sent from you. They are in Christ. By your work, by your power, by your grace, they are in Christ. There are this Lord who are in church and they like being in church they've never really come to faith in Christ alone they hope the church or their parents or their spouse can somehow atone for them and it just doesn't happen that way and then there are those who know they're not in you they're rebellion against you and your truth. Father, I would pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would simply enlighten men and women. Show men and women and young people their need for Christ, even as you prayed in this passage. Help them see it. Help them receive it and understand it. And believe it by your grace. Father, help them confess it before men. Because you did say, if you confess me before men as your Lord, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, if you're ashamed of me before men, then I too will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. What scary words. What ominous words. But Lord, what truthful words. Teach us that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.